Welcome to episode 101 of the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. 101 episodes. We are now over the 100 episode hump or hurdle. Hooray for me. Also hooray for us. Because moving forward, you don't have to hear me talk about the 100 episodes thing at all anymore. Thank God that is over with. This episode is an interview and some songs by a truly amazing band, and they're called No Small Children. In this episode, we're going to get to know the people of No Small Children very well. But first, let me tell you a little story of how I first heard of this band. It'll give you a little bit of a backstory. I was looking for a cover version of the Ghostbusters theme song for an episode. You know, I Ain't Afraid of No Ghosts, that kind of thing. I think it was for the Paranormal Trivia episode that came out a little bit ago. Well, lo and behold, as I was plunging through the depths of YouTube, because I have found the easiest way to find a cover version of a song you want to use for whatever is go on YouTube and you'll find crazy stuff, all kinds of different stuff. Well, I found a video of this band called No Small Children covering that Ghostbusters theme song. And not only did they cover that song, the Ghostbusters theme, their version of that song, I come to find out, was featured in the soundtrack of that 2016 Ghostbusters movie, kind of the remake. Originally, they called the movie just Ghostbusters, but then they changed the name of the movie to Ghostbusters Answer the Call when a bunch of misogynistic fanboys complained or something like, oh, it's not a remake, it's not the same movie. Oh, God, I'm so cold and lonely in my room with only my computer to keep me company, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, fanboys, they're the best, aren't they? Uh, Great, that was sarcasm, by the way. So this No Small Children version of that Ghostbusters theme song plays during the end credits of that 2016 film, and it is amazing. It's an absolutely incredible version of that song. I was really curious about the band after I saw the video that they had out for that Ghostbusters theme. I looked up a few more of their songs kind of read about them a little bit, going like, what is this band all about? It's really interesting, right? And wow, there's a lot to this band. The band is incredibly talented. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, one of the most talented bands that's out there making music now. Very interesting story. This is the short version. We're going to talk more about that in the interview coming up, by the way. No Small Children is made up of three women they're all teachers in the Los Angeles area by day, and at night, they're champions of the rock and roll cause, and also on weekends, I would assume. And I'll say this about No Small Children, too. Their songs are so incredibly catchy, well-written, every song you want to sing along to. If you're looking for the perfect rock and roll band, you have found them with No Small Children in my mind. You're going to hear, trust me, we've got four songs by No Small Children in this episode. And like I said, there is an interview with Lisa, Joni, and Nicola, the three women who make up the band No Small Children. Before the songs and the interview, though, I would like to welcome a new contributor to the Bobcast with what is going to be a new monthly feature of the Bobcast, Horror Movie Reviews with Carolyn Morissette, one of the finest Canadians in all of Canada, yes, Carolyn is coming at us with a horror movie review in this episode. It's absolutely amazing. Now, you may remember Carolyn from Bobcast episode number 68, the Carolyn Morissette interview episode. Carolyn absolutely rules. She's an incredible person. She is the development coordinator and programmer for the Blood in the Snow Festival in Toronto. 
She is the co-host of the Really Melanated podcast and the founder of the View from the Dark blog and website. She's also a Rotten Tomatoes-approved film critic and so much more. In this inaugural edition of Carolyn's segment on the Bobcast, she is going to talk about a 2007 horror film titled The Tattooist. Please stay tuned for Carolyn. Hi, everyone. This is Carolyn here. With my first movie review for The Bobster, I decided to pick one that's a little older about something that's near and dear to my heart. It's skin deep, in fact, because I love tattoos. I started to think about all my indulgences in the before times, and tattoos were one of them. I have a back piece myself and a couple of larger ones on my side and hip, and I stopped getting them because I ran out of viable space and let's be real cash. But I do have to shout out my tattoo guy, Dan Innes, at Pearl Harbor Tattoo Shop in Toronto, um, and he always hooked me up. To me, tattoos are something you endure because you love it, and you forget the pain as soon as you see the beautiful art on your body. A lot of us use them as roadmaps of our lives, but there's also a lot of cultures that don't see tattoos as cosmetics. Um, They're more of a rite of passage, and they hold a lot of power. And these thoughts brought me to a 2007 film called The Tattooist. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. The film is part of the Ghost House Underground extension of Sam Raimi's Ghost House Pictures, and it's directed by Peter Berger. Uh, it stars that dude from Roswell, Jason Bear, as Jake, the main character. Um, we also have Mia Blake as Sina, his love interest. Uh, Robbie Magasiva as Ali, the buff Samoan Tafuga or tattooist. And David Fane as Sina's uncle, Va. So let me give you the setup of the tattooist. Jake is a tattoo artist visiting Singapore for a convention, but his first stop there is to tattoo a sick child for protection healing. Jake's kind of a modern-day snake oil salesman who claims to do tattoos that heal. He does the tattoo on the kid, then heads to the convention where he sees a really pretty woman there. Uh, He follows her to a traditional Samoan tattoo booth and watches as a pea, a traditional tattoo in the Samoan culture, watches as it's being done. He wants to know about the designs and whether they have healing properties to add to his appropriation roster. And while he's there, he steals one of the tattooing tools from Ali, the tattooist. So... Remember the kid he's supposedly healed? Well, it doesn't work, and the kid's father finds Jake at the convention, accosts him, and threatens his life. In the scuffle, Jake cuts himself on that Samoan tattooing tool, and the words of that grieving father has an effect in an otherworldly way. So Jake starts to have nightmares and decides he's better off returning the tool and maybe learn about Samoan tattoos the right way. So he heads off to New Zealand, where he ends up working for his gnarly tattooer friend and searches for that Samoan tattoo artist, Ali, that he stole from. Uh, He ends up getting a lead and finds Sina, the beautiful woman that he saw at the convention, and she takes a liking to him and takes him to her cousin's pea ceremony. Of course, he's not welcome because he's a palagi or white dude, and he eventually admits to Sina that he stole the tool because he is a tool. 
all of this really doesn't matter because the tattooing tool is cursed and there's an entity who is killing Jake's clients. So when he realizes what he's done, it's up to him to find out the mystery behind the tool and the curse. I know the tattooist got a lot of bad reviews saying there was too much exposition, but there's also something to be said for letting a wider audience know about a culture without the guesswork. I think it's an important film because it's a a unique story involving a culture that not many of us know about. I also love this movie because it incorporates the Samoan culture authentically. And I say this because the director, Peter Berger, is Maori, so he understands and respects the tradition of Samoans. This also brings me to my next point about culturally specific horror. We have to see that if the story doesn't come from the actual culture it's featuring, there must be a collaboration coming from those within the community to tell the story properly. Berger made sure that he respected the Samoan community to the point that they made him a chief or matai, made sure his cast represented the Samoan community properly, including the veteran Samoan actor Nathaniel Lees, who has been in The Matrix, Lord of the Rings, and 30 Days of Night, to name a few. He also uses a real issue when it comes to getting a pea. If you can't finish your traditional tattoo, you shame the whole family. And that's taken very seriously. So shame in the Samoan culture is very important to take heed of. There's also a mixture of past and present in this film. There's ancient Samoan traditions mixed with Christianity. And he also blends in modern Samoan life as well. This was a low-budget film, but it looks really great, and the effects are cool. There's a creepy ghost. The blood, when you start bleeding from the curse, it turns to ink. Uh, It's a really cool, like, goopy effect. And the sound design signifying when the ghost would appear is really unnerving. Bircher used a real tattoo artist, Dean Sacred, who designed the tattoos on Jake and Cena, and a lot of the Samoan tattoo scenes were real, so you can't get more authentic than that. The story came from Vela Manasate, a Tongan actor from New Zealand, who I believe played the taxi driver at the end of the film. So having said all of that, I think the tattooist is really underrated and passed over because it may not tick all the boxes critically, but as a story representing a culture in genre, it's pretty awesome. So if you're jonesing for a tattoo but don't want to go out in the plague right now, check out The Tattooist streaming on Apple and Roku. And I'll talk to you all next time. Bye! Well, thank you so much, Carolyn, for the movie review. The Tattooist sounds pretty interesting and rad, doesn't it? It really does right up my alley. I did watch a trailer for it after Carolyn told me which movie she was going to talk about in this episode, and it looks pretty rad. I'm very much intrigued. Definitely look for more content from Carolyn Morissette monthly here on the Bobcast, where she's going to be talking about horror movies, things like that. I think the best thing about Carolyn in the segment is you're going to be hearing about movies that may come from a slightly different perspective than what you're used to, different in the sense that they may not be made by your typical like white male horror filmmaker's viewpoint. A different perspective is absolutely so important to me in so many ways. It's rad. I think perspectives from different people and everything kind of that we do are what we need to hear more of and more often for sure. So awesome. So thanks again to Carolyn Morissette. Welcome aboard. Right now, though, it is time for the... 
of the episode. Yes, the beer of the episode in the No Small Children extravaganza episode is the Deep Fake Double IPA, which is brewed with Cascade, Centennial, Columbus, Simcoe, and Citra hops. This big, bold, and citrusy double IPA weighs in at 9% alcohol by volume. Holy shit. Oh, boy, that's strong. Let's give this beer a try. It's got bite. It's got a little bite. A little bit like a rattlesnake kind of, you know. Oh, yeah. Definitely has some bite. Notes of citrus in there, I would say. It's tasty. It is tasty. 9%. Oh, man. Thank God I already did this interview. I'm not doing it live because I'd be fucked up by the end of that. Oh, my gosh. Well, this is definitely a winner of a beer or a winner of an episode. You can also enjoy this fine beer and many others like it at Plan 9 Ale House, which is located at 155 East Grand Avenue in Escondido, California. You can reach Plan 9 Ale House by phone at 760-489-8817 or on the web at www.plan9alehouse.com. Tell them Bob sent you and check out the record selection at Plan 9 Ale House while you're there. Seriously, Plan 9 has an incredible selection of records Toys, t-shirts, all kinds of stuff. You should check it out. Very good. Now, let's move on to the episode. As I said earlier, there's going to be four songs by No Small Children in this one on top of the interview with the band. Those songs are, in order of appearance, Teacher, Hold Tight, I'm Flying, Sing Loud, and the last song is simply titled Radio. And I really tried to pick songs that represent No Small Children and their kind of broad range of musical style. Because they have songs that range from kind of like pop punk ditties in a way, you know, to just straight up rock and roll songs. There are songs with a little bit of funk in there. There's even a song that they have that's got like hip hop and rap elements. In some ways, I had a really hard time picking songs for this episode because every single song from this band is totally incredible. I do think every song by No Small Children is an amazing song. So no matter what, you are going to hear some incredibly great songs. Stay tuned for all the songs for the interview. Let's hear one of those songs right now. This one is called Teacher, Then we'll get right to that first part of the interview. Please stay tuned.
No small children. We have Lisa, Joni, and Nicola. Is that right? It's, it's close. Nicola. Like oh, Nicola. Nicola. Okay, Nicola. Sorry about that. Like the Italian <laughs> pronunciation. There we go. Okay. All right, Nicola. For a woman. For a woman. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Okay. Well, let's get let's get your history first. A little bit of background on no small children. This is the way I understand it. Kind of legend has it that Nicola and Lisa met at school in 2012 and decided, well, we're going to start a band. Is that right? Close. Uh, very close. We actually had been friends in college for longer than that. And I would always go and see Lisa's shows. And when I returned to music, Lisa was really encouraging with me and with book shows with my then band. And then one day we just looked at each other and was like, hey, maybe we should play together. So very close. Ah, okay. Oh, so you, you were, both of you were in separate bands kind of at that time yeah. when you decided to, yeah. okay, what yeah. bands, what bands were you in? When I met Nicola, I was sort of, cause the whole reason I came out to LA was cause I had a punk band named Heidi and we were from Boston and, and Heidi got signed to Warner Brothers. So we came out to make a record and then I just, you know, stayed. And then of course, you know, after a year or two of that, um, the, you know, as a punk band on our major label would often do, we kind of fell apart and, uh, and I wanted to get back into teaching. So at the time I was sort of fine. And I was a drummer too in that band. Oh. And at the time, like, I don't know how you feel, uh, Bob, but like, as a lot of times, you know, I've been, I feel like I've been in so many bands where the, the lead singer, you just wanted to strangle them. So I, I just said, you know what? I want to be the lead singer. Starting a band, I'm going to be the lead singer. Are we allowed to swear on here? Absolutely, yes. Fuck all y'all, and here we go. Let's go. And so, uh, so that's I started like writing songs for the first time. Well, I did with Heidi too, but just writing them from a singer perspective. And so I was doing some stuff, but you know, I was soul searching when I met Nicola, really. And there, and there was a precipice. And Nicola was in this band called Corresponding Society with again two other teachers where they were like this sort of jammy sort of, um, it was like very a, it was, jammy. It was like Southern California surf rock. <laughs> really? Um, but they were, they were so psyched to be playing, but had no desire to go on tour. And I was just like itching for more. Ah. We started with the band with the idea that we would just say yes to everything. Our and band. That, our band. And that, that we have time, but no time to waste. And that we would just, just throw it out there and say yes and that's how it all started it's important to know that this band was started uh we're like you know what we're getting we're dodging reset we're on recess duty we're dodging balls this is a true story we're like uh we need something outside of school let's let's do something so it's almost like a response to just feeling like we wanted something that you know like the blondie song you know the lyrics of this like uh you know whatever yeah so it, it was in response to that too so it was a lot of things 
Which Blondie song, Lisa? The Dreamin' song. <laughs> the Dreamin' song. Yeah. Uh, something that you haven't hold. Something of your very own. Dreamin' yeah. free, baby. But, you know, it's interesting. Lisa was talking about uh, where we start from because Lisa and I are actually sisters, and Nicola and Lisa started the band together, and then I I moved out to L.A. later um, and joined the band. And but you know, this is very much. Uh, kind of like a convergence of circumstances in life in the same way Lisa was talking about, she was really looking to kind of take on a different role and do something different. Sure. And, uh, and for me, I had been voice is my primary thing. I had been a singer my entire life since I was 16. And so, but Lisa, when I moved to LA, she's like, Oh, you gotta come and play in the band. I was like, well, you're the, you're the lead singer. What do you need? What, you know, what do you need? It's like, Oh, uh, you know, you should play, at first I was supposed to play the guitar, and then I got from that. And then she said, well, you can play the bass. And I said, all right. We're, we're, we're built from the ground up. But I said, at, the, at the time, I was like, oh, that's cool. There's only one problem. I don't know how to play the bass. And I don't own a bass or a rig of any kind. And she's like, oh, that's cool. Well, you can just borrow this amp and you'll figure it out. Bikini kill. Bikini, yeah. that we're just like bikini kill, only different. Yeah, but I mean, I've been a strings player all my life. I'm a cellist, but it, it was, I figured, oh, yeah, and with no problem. What's the, you know, big deal. It turns out it's wicked hard. And you, <laughs> oh, you're Boston. Your Boston just came out big time right there. So I knew you'd get it, JP. I knew you'd get it. Well, you know, it, it, it was also, it was super liberating, too, because you suddenly begin to, there's no expectation for, on myself to be amazing at it because I'd never done it before. So it really was liberating, and I got to enjoy being new at something. And I, the minute I started playing it, I was like, oh, my God, I wish I had done this years ago. And of all the instruments I play, I, I play more bass than almost all of the other instruments combined you know, at this point. Because it turns out if you play the bass, you'll always have a job because everybody you will always have a job. That is so true. Oh, it's like being a drummer, but it's with less equipment to haul around, and you actually have to be talented. Sorry, Nicola, that was not directed at you. That was directed at myself because I'm a drummer anyway. So, um, <laughs> as a drummer joke, how many drummers does it take to screw in a light bulb? There's my joke, and it's clean. It's totally clean. One to do it in. Tend to tell how much better they could do it. One question I did want to ask about when you started the band, there was something about something was said about starting a punk band that wrote songs about eating salad. Can you clarify that <laughs> that statement for me? Uh, that is a true statement. That's what I'm going to say. That is a true because we're just like it's it's kind of like when we just started. We didn't really have an agenda. We just knew we wanted to like take the nearest thing that's annoying, you know, take the nearest thing to you that's annoying. And being, um, you know, in your mid thirties, uh, a woman, you know, you have to be you a woman at a certain station in life, yeah. mid thirties or so, maybe. Uh, um, you know, that's annoying having to eat salad all the time, and then to hear people talk about how they eat salad, and so we just wrote a song about eating salad. You know, it just seemed like a good uh, thing that most a lot of people can relate to, and as it's proved to, and it's proved to be a song a lot of people can relate to. Yeah, yeah so. I get it. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, okay. I love that I, that lyric in that song where it talks about like the bread coming to the table in the restaurant. You really just want to eat all the friggin' bread. You know? <laughs> like, who cares like, about the salad? Yeah. Send that back. Yeah, That's yeah. <laughs> like I, you know, I think it's that that kind of 
that common thread that you have, you know, through life, you know, everybody, as it turns out, like Lee said, you know, there's a lot of people who feel that way. Yeah, you know, and, and nothing, it can be kind of deep too for a lot of yeah. people too. So yeah. once Joni moved out, you, were you all teaching at the same school at that point? Did Joni? Did you come straight out and start working at the same school as as Nicola and Lisa? Lisa and I had like a um, a production project that I had been coming out for. You know, like every six or eight weeks, I'd come out for for a long period of time, like a writing session, yeah, like a writing or... session and that type ah. of stuff. And so I did that for about a year, and then. And then finally, it was like January and I was getting ready to go back to, to Boston. It was, I look at my phone, it's like two degrees in Boston oh, yeah. and it's 72. I'm sitting outside and, and Lisa's like, you should just move here. I'm like, that's a great idea. So I did. <laughs> and, and that was, and then, uh, yeah. So when I came out though, in the summer prior to moving out like permanently, Lisa directs this summer performing arts program and I started teaching at the performing arts program. And then in September started teaching music part-time at the school. And now I'm actually a full-time music teacher there. Ah, okay. All three of us, the short answer is all three of us are at the same school now. Now you are. Okay. Okay. No, and then we, we shorter were before, but Joni is two years ago became like a, like a full-time, like during, you know, employee at the school. And it's like, it's crazy. It's kind of, it's really awesome. Yeah. And Joni and I are like the two music teachers at the school. Are you the only music teachers at the school? Yes, we have people that work in the instrumental program, like teaching lessons, you know, like specialists for strings or, or you know, different things. But yeah, we're the only two. How the cool. Music teachers. Yeah. yeah. Almost a side note. Your students know that you're in a band too. And have they heard the music? And I, I don't want to get too much into that because you've been asked that a lot. It seems like in other interviews and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, they know. Like, at first, we didn't talk too much about it, but they started showing up to school in our band (laughs) t-shirts. So we figured the cat was out of the bag. And now they just know. And they know, many of them know all the lyrics to our songs and and, and all of that. It's really sweet. And now, and actually, when we have a new song now, we'll even, when we're workshopping it, use it and and share them uh, studio takes and use it in our teaching. No kidding. for feedback, yeah, and wow. show them like adults being vulnerable and adults getting feedback, and show them that in the creative process, you know, there's stages to it and there's light layers to it. And they, they love that, you know, they like that when you're putting yourself out there, yeah, and taking a risk. It's the talk and the walk. As Nicholas says, we ask them to do that every single day of every yeah. almost every moment, right? <laughs> and we want we want to model it. The littlest students, like kindergarten, first, second grade, they Ghostbusters in particular. They go berserk over that song. <laughs> Everything that like, because it was actually on, it was on Serious uh, Kids. It, it is on Serious. It is on Serious Kids, but it was yeah. like a chart topper for yeah. a while. And so a lot of our kids would hear it. And then I would come to school and we'd be having a class and like, we want to hear the ghost And I'm like, okay. What about the brand new song that just came out? Get Your Shit Together? We did a, we did a clean version of it. You did. Oh, that's great. I love it. (laughs) That's wonderful. Okay, cool. The first one's a lot more fun to say, though. Oh, God, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Not even comparison. Where did the name No Small Children come from? Was it like, like, we're going to do this band thing, and we don't want any, no no kids around, no little kids around, that kind of thing? In the beginning, when we, like, because the name came, like, pretty much right away, and 
in the beginning, it was kind of like, oh, we need a place to go where there's no kids, you know? And after a while, so in the beginning, yes, it was that, like a place for girls. But then we started feeling like we had friends with young children that were feeling like they were excluded. And that's not what we wanted at all. So, and, and, it, uh, and it kind of is a joke, too. Like, the kids think it's hilarious, you know, to have a band. They, in fact, one of, in the summer program, one of the, one of the kids had a band called No no yes. big adults or something, no, no big grown-ups yeah. or something. So they get the irony of it. And it, and it's, um, you know, and we're teachers, so there's no small children. So it's kind of the op- the other life, you know, teachers gone wild, you know. We're also celebrating women out there who don't have kids and saying exactly. they're, so- they're socially relevant. And that's not all that defines women in this culture.
one thing I did read about No Small Children is the first three months of of all of you being a band, you played 55 shows in three <laughs> months or something like that. That goes back to the can't won't say no to anything. That's thing. Right. That was right. That was like the shedding, the workshopping, getting our shit together right there. It was inspired though by Nicholas. Remember, it was Spencer. So Spencer Ludwig, he's a trumpet player, and he was in the band Capital Cities, and he was a he was a student of ours. You know that band that had that, and you know he toured the world, and his whole philosophy. You know what we noticed about him. He didn't say this to us, but. He just said yes to every opportunity that came his way, enthusiastically said yes, and, and just basically just grabbed every opportunity, not knowing where it might lead. And, you know, he's got this incredible career now as a trumpet player. And I found that really inspiring. And sure. we have, I remember having that talk about Spencer. It's like, you know, one thing I noticed, he says yes to everything. So Nicole's like, we should say yes to everything. So we just started saying yes to everything. And it's like that movie Yes Man, you know, and then shit started to happen. Because we started said yes to everything, and we're not just saying yes, but saying yes and and grabbing it. Sometimes it's yes and, sometimes it's yes but, but it was like pretty much always yes. I mean, we thought of, we modified it this many years later, but in the in the beginning, you know, we lived on coffee, but really, what we were living on, you know, that euphoric feeling when you're falling in love, that's so beautiful. Sure, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. it was like that kind of energy because it just it was like a snowball feeding on itself and it didn't matter if there were two people in the club or if it was a pack club, we are still connected to the people we met in those beginning shows mm-hmm. yep. and they stayed with us. And one of them, our good friend, Johnny literally has come to 99. He was scheduled to come to the hundredth show that got canceled because of COVID. But, but we met him in that those earliest days and he's, and many people uh, in the Los Angeles music scene. And um, we're so grateful for those friendships. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's a very loyal group of people that, that like to come see you play. And, and yeah. you know, I, 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 I drift from the word fan base because it sounds so, you know, Ted Nugent, rock and roll, that, that kind of thing, you know, right. I mean, it just sounds like totally. such a, a presumptuous thing to say our fan base, you know, eh, it's more like supporters, like there are people yeah. who, these are, really, these are really important relationships for us. Yeah, and, yeah. They, and, and quite honestly, they, they became, we started together, we, they, we came together because of music, but it also these folks are genuinely friends. We consider, consider them friends and, and have seen them outside of our gigs as well. But it's, there's, it is, so there's something so comforting when you go to a show and you, you know you're going to see some, a familiar face in the audience who doesn't give a shit about um, how they look or what other people think that they are there really because they love your music. And they become part of the show, too. It's not sure. just about what we are doing on stage. You know, there's definitely times where we, we are playing for each other. But in these moments, like when we have even just a handful of people that have come to dozens of shows there, you know, it is as a musician, when you see somebody or hear somebody singing the lyrics to your song, full throttle, it is so unbelievably gratifying. And then you travel to Alaska and the same thing happens. Yeah. You know, like, 
Did you play shows up in Alaska? We did. Wow. Yeah. Did you tour up through Canada, like up through British Columbia to get there or go across or something? Or At that time, we, we couldn't do that, though, because they were five, they were five days. There were, like, there were like a handful of shows in Alaska we just flew up for. How we, cool. We really wanted to play in Canada. The, unfortunately, at that time, on that particular tour, the restrictions around uh, people coming from the lower 48 to, to perform, there was a lot of restrictions around permits and blah, 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 and it was just... We couldn't, uh, we couldn't swing it. We really wanted to. I think um, at the time it was a thousand dollars just to enter as a working musician. If you're yeah. doing it, yeah, you almost have to do it. You almost have to do it without. Uh, no, no, we're just here touristing. <laughs> we're not here to play any shows. But that was a hell of a tour, though. That was actually the Alaska dates were at the end of the tour, and it was just incredible. It was so beautiful. Wow, really? what, what time of year did you go up there? Was it summertime kind of thing? Summertime. August. We were so busy there that uh, at one point we realized we hadn't done anything like Alaskan. So <laughs> Joni was driving. And we're like, Joni, Joni, pull over. Yeah, he pulled over and Lisa and I are like, let's, let's just go exploring. And we like, go, we trade through the forest. We hear a river. Let's go to the river. And we came smack into fresh bear prints. We're like, we don't oh. know what we're doing. Let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> 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 this interview almost didn't happen. You could have all been bare food at some point. So those two would have. Oh, I you're right. In the car. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, now let's move on. Let's do something a little bit different. We're gonna do a little word association game. I'm gonna say a word, and then you tell me the first thing that comes to mind, just like any word association thing works. It's different in the sense, though, I do want you to explain why you gave me that word. I am going to pick on each one of you twice. Each one of you gets two words. We're going to start with Lisa. Lisa, Los Angeles. Weather. And why? Why would you say that? Coming from Austin, teaching at, you know, my first class every morning at 7 a.m., scraping my window off. Thank God for Howard Stern. May I say that? And uh, I'll never, ever take for granted the weather in Los Angeles, even when it's a thousand degrees out. The next one is the Redwood. The Redwood is connection, camaraderie, music, I don't know, warmth, uh, loud, <laughs> no, uh, wait, no cover charge. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> chicken, chicken strips. Um, Ooh, yeah. People. That's oh, a lot man. of words, please. <laughs> Sorry, I just have a very, uh, I, I, I have a, it's a soft spot for me. How about soft spot? There you go. Okay. All right. <laughs> Joni, you're next. Your first word is Boston. Family. I mean, I've been out in LA for a long, for a long time now. For um, I mean, like uh, it's not this is my ninth year in Los Angeles, but it's still mm, mm, Boston still feels like home for me. And it's even when you know, it's been a this is the longest I've ever gone without being there. And the minute I step off the plane, you know, I become that person again you know my accent gets extremely thick i immediately go to a dunkin donuts i start <laughs> dunks yes I, I start beeping my horn and you know flipping the bird you know all that stuff so i i don't have any intention of moving back to boston per se not full-time in any case i would love to be there at some point you know part-time uh, over the summers it's still like some of my my family, a lot of a lot of my family is still there, and my some of my dearest friends are there as well. So, I mean, I've never lived anywhere outside of Massachusetts until I moved to LA. 
home. I, it's I home. do. I do. I'm, it is home. Yeah. So oh. even now. Yeah. Your next word, Joni, this is still you. The next word is Otis Redding. Otis Redding. <sighs> These arms of mine. Oh, I love Otis Redding. Love Otis Redding. He's probably in um, my, I want to say my top five favorite singers of all time. And, you know, What's interesting? One word, word Joni. One oh, word. Sorry, sorry. Well, that's a second tune. That's a second tune. I, no, um, it's really fun. hard for her to just say one word. Yeah, <laughs> coming from the person who just gave a like a wicked long answer. Uh, I my my uh, I'd say my one word is goosebumps because there's some songs that I listen to of his where the hair still stands up on the back of my neck. And I've heard. I've listened to the songs a million times, and that genre. Uh, that that genre that time in history and music history probably had the largest influence on me as a musician. Like I said before, sing, voice is my primary thing. And uh, it, Lisa and Nicola and I, all three of us have very different musical backgrounds, even though Lisa and I are sisters and, you know, grew up together. We still have very different um, musical influences and interests. And so for me, I was, a, you know, saying it's soul and funk music all, and still do. And so those those early soul singers, uh, Otis Redding, um, Sam Cooke, oh, yeah. Aretha's at the very, very, very tippy top. I uh, it had always been my on my bucket list to meet her. Unfortunately, I, I was never able to do that. But I uh, that music is so iconic for me, and so it's like it's like attached to my bones. I yeah. really it, big impact on me as a musician, and especially as a singer. Nicola. It's your turn. Yes. All right. Your word is drums. Uh, I just want to say something like uh, connection. Just because it, it takes me, I, I live in my head a lot. I'm kind of a cerebral person. And and it, it puts me back into a place that is just um, in the moment and like super present with myself and not wasting this moment of life, but living this moment of life. So when I'm playing, playing with these ladies right here, it's like I'm alive right now. Your next word is, Nicola, it is sisters. 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 Your next uh-huh. When I think of sisters, I, I would say grateful. All right. Well, we'll move on to the next question. Kind of a serious note. It, COVID has definitely affected everyone in the entire world in some way, shape, or form in pretty big ways. As a group of people, the three of you have been affected majorly in two different ways. One, you're all teachers and two, you're in a very active band, a band that plays around a a lot that does a lot of stuff. How did you all cope with that? I mean, dealing with not only COVID in your personal life, but you have schools. Did your schools all get shut down in March Mm -hmm. of last year kind of thing or your school? Yeah. Nicola, why don't you, why don't you answer this one? Oh yeah. So it was, I just call it like a kaleidoscope of change. Like just as soon as you think you have one thing nailed down, it's, it's constantly shifting, but we had a very long stretch of uh, what, what actually we've talked about this a lot. What actually helped us was being teachers in the sense of like every day we would be online all day with our, I'll talk for myself every day. I would be online with my students and I, I, I wanted to make sure they were okay. 
Mm, you know, and, sure. and give them something to hope for and be positive about and have them be part of the solution and be motivated to make things really super relevant in their academic life so they would want to tune in, so they'd want to do the labor and want to do the work and keep on reminding them that their job was to stay the course it, even if, it, if that didn't feel like a big thing, they, what they may, now became super important for their family to do their, their stuff as independently and to, to the best of the ability as they could because everybody was living in the moment in something he's never lived through before. And so actually it really helps being a teacher, having, giving, just, just constantly giving back and, and not focusing on what was lost. It was a massive quick learning curve for me because I'd rather do anything else than be on the computer all day. Sure, but yeah. I got to say, when it, when it comes down to it, teaching is a, about the practice of it. You don't, as long, if you don't get too caught up in the technology, you have a basic understanding of how to do everything so it doesn't trip you up. Good teaching is good teaching. And connection is, is the most important thing. Connection is key. That's Yeah, that's it, yeah. right? Connection between you yeah. and your students is so important. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to add to that that we do work at a school where we were able to make connection, which I think was, is key. And I'm just, you know, what Nicholas said, I feel exactly the same way. And, you know, not only it, I felt like being a teacher during this time, because we were able to have these connections because we were supported to have, you know, all the kids had confusers and, you know, some of them are, it was really hard to reach and there were definitely obstacles, but I felt in the beginning of the day, it was always hard to like, cause you have to muster up your own energy to give them energy. And, but in the end, I felt like they lifted me up um, a lot, like a lot where the kids just, they're just so, uh, I mean, all kids are just, I don't know. There's like a hope and we lifted each other up, I guess, really. But I'm so, uh, you know, the fact that we had a job during this whole thing, the fact that we were able to do our job because of the, the fact that all our kids or not all of them, but so many were online and be able to make that connection it gave us purpose throughout this whole thing. And I feel it, like it lifted me up a lot. Yeah. Like a lot. I don't know how I would have done without it, to be honest. And our band, you know, we just kept trying to come up with creative ideas. We, we really songs. We did, you know, we did uh, a bunch of music videos. We have, um, because we're, we make our own records. We were able to do some recording where, you know, Joni would record a part. Nicola would record a part. We'd like write with program dumps and then we put it all together. You know, because so we're another again, we're like really fortunate to be able to do that as well. So, I, you know, as a teacher, I don't know any teacher that prefers teaching this way, <laughs> you know, sure. so, and I don't. And it was a forcing function for a lot of folks um, where they had to learn. They had to like essentially it was like drinking out of a fire hose, you know, this adaptation to a completely mm-hmm. different way of teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. the, the good news is all of that stuff can be learned. All of the, all of yeah. the skills that you need in order to zoom and do this and that, that can all be learned. And it's that, it's that kind of the desire to engage and connect is universal, whether you are there with them in person or you are over zoom. And I, I agree with a hundred percent with what Lisa and Nicola both said is that, you know, for me, I was so grateful to have this work. Um, it takes me probably twice as long to prep a virtual lesson just as a music teacher because we can't play together. We can only do like yeah. I do something, you do something, you know. So I had to be—I had to basically completely recreate my curriculum sure. um, to work in this environment. 
but I am so grateful that I, I, I mean, I, I have thrown myself into work this past year and I don't, it is the way that I cope and get through challenging things is to, is to work and to, and to take action. And there's fewer things that I have in my life that, that, that make me feel better about something than to actually work at it, apply some effort and have some, you know, outcome. And, and we are so fortunate. The school where we work has really had their, their distance learning game pretty well developed. And I know our, I'm hopeful, I believe our kids are also equally grateful. The families are equally grateful. There are some communities that can't do distance learning in the same way. And I think it's been, in, it, it's been incredibly challenging uh, for families if they're like in a one bedroom apartment and you have four kids who are all trying to get on Zoom in, you know, at the internet at the same time. There's, there are a lot of obstacles and challenges and, and we have, I personally feel like I have nothing to complain about. This one's a little bit serious too. 
what do you want to see as far as the changes that have happened due to COVID kind of stick around? Like what kind of changes, like the wearing masks when we're sick or when we might be around sick people, hand sanitizer everywhere, people washing their hands, people standing six feet away from you when you're in line at the grocery store and you don't feel the breath on their breath on the back of your neck. Like what are some positive things that you would like to see stick around that we've experienced during COVID? Well, I know that I'll be wearing a mask if I have a cold. Definitely be wearing a mask when I travel overseas. You know, I just making it back from the to and from Nepal. Uh, you know, everybody passing through Hong Kong was where you know different people were wearing masks, and, and they were way ahead of us. Yeah, I would. Agree. I think you, places like if you go to Japan, like they've been, they have learned a long time ago how to deal with outbreaks of various viruses and things like that, and. So it's really common. I mean, even I was, I did a tour probably 15 years ago in, in China and in Beijing and Shanghai, people wearing masks all the time. Stars, yeah. stars. And, and I think that, you know, on the one hand, this is like I said before, this whole, the pandemic has become a forcing function in, in this country, but there are some things that people were not willing to try to do before because, there was there they were afraid to or just no that won't work and da 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 da. I see a lot of people now being very productive from home that they are able to cut down their commute to and from an office, spend more time with their families, put less pollution in the air because of their automobiles, all of that stuff. I also think that for me as a teacher, there's a lot of stuff I had I I tried for the first time because I had to and it worked out really well. So I plan to, you know, incorporate those things going forward because you know most students don't you know they do better in person but there are some students there there's far fewer but there are a handful of students who actually thrive in this environment Mm. where they were they had fewer distractions and from a health perspective i have a much more heightened awareness of the impact that my behavior has on the well-being of other people and so to me i don't have a problem wearing a mask and if I'm sick, it's I'm I, I wear a mask. Great all day long. Great. Yeah. But I ask the kids, you know, what are you going to take away from this experience? That's going to be a positive. And all the kids, they, I have six, I have six, it was a sixth grade room, and they all said, "I'm a, I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna take things for granted a lot less." Mm-hmm. And and all the kids said that, and which I was like, "Oh my god, that you know, it hurt me here." Um, you know, I think all of us are going to take a, you know take things for granted a little bit less. Also, you know, Johnny said about the internet, you know, like, I feel like this style of learning puts more responsibility on the kids and their families to be, to, to learn rather than on the teacher to, you know, so I feel like here's my kid, make him smart. And that's kind of the old way of thinking in some ways, right? or, Or just, yeah. I mean, not that the parents are doing that, but. Just like, you know, when you're in a room with somebody, you just, you, you, you drill it in, you drill it in, you drill it in when you're on the internet. It's like, oh, here's the stuff. All right, so go drill it to yourself and come back in 15 minutes after you've drilled it a little bit. Because that's the only way you can do it. So it puts more responsibility, I don't know, for music anyway, on them to do that. And I feel like, you know, in the, in the end, I think maybe we'll all be a little better for that. I just want to have one more quick answer. You know, the, the children of the Great Depression grew up never forgetting that moment. Right. And I do actually think our students have learned some things they would not have gotten otherwise. And the kids in general, students everywhere, have faced 
a level of adversity that most of them have never experienced in their life. And that, that adversity is going to make them for, you know, more resilient. All of us. That's right. All, all of us. us. All, all of us. us. All of us. But the, but the kids in particular who are facing this, this challenge that, you know, what our hope is, is that they'll have kind of a heightened resilience going forward. I was talking earlier to Joni, okay, that you're a hard band to pin down. And that's such a great thing. I love it. I love it. The, the brand new song, Get Your Shit Together, has a little bit of a, there's kind of a, some funkiness going on there, I believe. Radio is a very radio-friendly kind of pop rock song. Beautiful Possibility 4 has quite a bit of like a hip-hop element going on. There's a little bit of punk rock in there. There's a tiny bit. I think there is. It's got that edge. I think that shows kind of maybe where some of you came from musically, that kind of thing. The horns is what I want to talk about here. I said all that because I was buttering you up. I want to talk about the horns because really outside of ska, you don't really hear horns in rock and roll that much these days. How did the horns get into music? And are you really secretly a ska band that masquerades as a <laughs> roll band? There's not that? enough of you to be a ska band. I shouldn't even have said that. You need like 10 more of you to be a ska band. So. <laughs> <laughs> I do love ska. We're from Boston. There's a lot of ska bands in Boston. Come on, that. Boston's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the Austonian. Yeah, it's a simple answer. You can't have our band without horns because Lisa's in it. Lisa, go. The biggest band geek in the whole world. I was in band. All three. I love horns. I love trumpet. I love saxophone. I love clarinet. I love it all. So it's like, you know what this song needs? A clarinet. No, we don't have any clarinet. I haven't heard any of that. So No, it will Yet. happen, though. Yet. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you say punk rock, I, you know, it's like, to me, that is, that is, you know, there's going to be people that, that say, you know, that has a, to me, punk rock is limitless. You know, it's, it's whatever the fuck you want to do. Right. Yeah. And so for us, that means horns, you know, for us, that means clarinet, even though I'm just saying that now we have to obviously do something with clarinet in it, which we will like, we're told I'm a band geek and why the fuck not? Lisa, you know, remember, it's like, remember when you played that big berry? The what? Oh, the baritone sax? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what this means? And she figured it out. When I first, when we first started out, it's like, oh yeah, when we, we decided to make an EP, it's like, okay, we're going to have no overdubs on this. It's going to be just like, we're going to be legit. It's going to be just, you know, one guitar track, one bass, one drums, trashy sounding, no overdubs. And we did it and it was cool and all. And the second record was like, let's get two guitars instead. You know, and so we just started, it's like, why not? You know, why not? And so, uh, so it's kind of like, why not? That's that's the answer. Why not? Cool. Because okay. we have, like Joni and Joni plays cello on a, uh, one of the, a couple songs we have. Nicola yeah. plays ukulele on a couple songs. We, you know, we just like we're like cool. Let's try it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, there's not. It's it's more like you know we decide we're just going to take the bookends off. So we we record and write music that sounds good to us. And you know, love to do. <laughs> that's it. There's no. It's kind of you know we have a lot of musical resources between the three of us and since we're self-produced we don't there's no one to tell us no right <laughs> right so, so we're like sure <laughs> unless it's one of the other band members like ah! or the <laughs> when one of us comes in and goes my husband thinks that um we write you know if you were to ask two people to describe the style of any one song 
they would probably have a hard time putting it into a column, which is exactly what we want. It's whatever column works for you. We write music that sounds fun to us, and we don't think about whether or not if you put horns here, it's not going to be legit. Or if you sing this way here, it's not. It's just, does it sound good? Great. It's, there you go. But you that know, first EP we did, the one with Sal on it, there's one, uh, except for one song, I'm irritated. It kicks in. There's a second guitar that kicks in like halfway through. But all of that's one guitar, one bass, and drums, and, you know, no overdubs on that. So. And that's it. Yeah. So you just kind of said, yeah, well, we, we have these assets. Yeah. Like, yeah. And we're going to use them if we want. If we think it sounds good in the song, we're going to do it. And you're not worried like, well, no, no, no. You know, if we do this, well, it's not really like our, that's not us. That's not our thing. You're just kind of like, well, if we want to do it and we like the way it sounds and we have yeah. fun doing it, then there we go. That's how, that's how we define our lane. Yeah. You know, exactly. we don't need to be in anybody else's lane. That's how we define our lane. All of us have kind of grown up as musicians in this band in one form or another. You know, I am new to the bass. Lisa's, uh, you know, hasn't been playing guitar most of her musical career. And, yeah. and Nicola came back to the drums after uh, many years. So, so what you hear is our evolution as musicians and also the evolution of our band. Now, Lisa, you mentioned at the very beginning kind of about you have a story about the misfits that you wanted to tell. And I really want to hear, honestly, now that we're talking back about music, I really, really want to hear this. Misfits okay. Well, it's, there was one, um, there was one Thanksgiving. There was a guy living at our house and he was friends with Bill, um, Doyle from misfits. Right. And so, and he's like, yeah, Doyle, he was living in, our, we had like a spare room and he was living here. He said, yeah, Doyle wants to come over. And he and his wife want to, his wife, George, that's what's her name. They want to make they want to make us all Thanksgiving dinner. So we're like, sure, that sounds cool. And we had a teenage son at the time that's like, like totally into heavy music. All his friends like couldn't believe it. They all came over on Thanksgiving to see Doyle. So they made us this great Thanksgiving dinner. It was lovely and it was great and it was really fun. And they, it was just like you know Doyle without the makeup. And then years later, Joni and Nicola and I were at Nam. We were like walking around, and Doyle comes like tromping through with all the makeup, the whole gear, you know, he's going to do some kind of stand thing. And people are trying to walk up to him. And I went up to him like, Doyle. And he said, you know, and he's like looking really, Rah. and I, and I said, it's Lisa. Remember when you have, you're at my house for Thanksgiving. And his whole face was like this huge smile with all the scare. And he's like, Oh my God. Yeah. So cool. It was really cool. He just, he wow. just told, but I'll never forget. They made these, they made these like grapes with Sprite on them. Anyway, they made grapes with like powdered sugar and Sprite, and they like hardened on the. You know, I learned their cooking tip from Doyle's. From Doyle, so. And he's <laughs> vegan. Was he vegan at the time? Did he do like a vegan Thanksgiving thing? I don't. I know that's terrible. I have terrible memory. I don't remember. Probably. Uh, okay, yeah, that's kind of beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's cool. That's crazy. Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein. Right. You had dinner with Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein. I did. Okay, now while we're on the subject of the Misfits, something that I like to talk about a lot on this podcast is kind of paranormal stuff, ghosts, that kind of thing, to take kind of a little detour from music, a real quick one. What do you all think about ghosts and the paranormal, UFOs, all that stuff? Is there any of that that you kind of believe in or think believe in? That's a, a broad thing to say. But is there? do you put any stock into the fact there might be such a thing as ghosts or anything like that? I've been to Area 51. We went to Roswell and we went to all the places in Roswell and 
went to, but what I what you know I do believe in I do believe in aliens but I wish in Roswell they had there were a lot of replicas you know and I wanted yeah, to see sure. the real thing sure. you know so I would say for for me that I I, I tend to live an evidence based life so at this point and I would say though that I I have never not I think that in all likeliness, considering all of, you know, the galaxy, the solar system, everything, considering the, um, the vastness of space, that it seems likely that we are sure. not the only living beings in, uh, in all of existence. This it's planet. a fact, actually. It's but, a fact. But, but whether or not they're sentient, I don't know. You know, we'll, we'll find it. And as far as ghosts are concerned, it's one of those things where, I don't, I don't believe in ghosts, but I still get super creeped out when, when things happen. I still, act, like, whether I believe them or not, in, subconsciously, it's super freaking scary to me. Like, when, sure. when, when creepy stuff happens, I get creeped out. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those yeah. things, like, ask me this question at, at midnight with all the lights are out and see what I say, then I might have a different answer in some ways. <laughs> you know, let's go hang out in the graveyard. Like, eh, I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Great. What, what about you, Nicola? So I do have a belief that it's, I can't, I can't say we are the only, we cannot be the only living creatures in existence. What about the future? What do you have planned? What's coming up? Maybe this summer, anything with now you're all vaccinated, some easing up of restrictions as far as COVID goes, live shows again this year, anything in the books? So we do have two shows coming up in April um, that are live streaming, but you know, rules are changing here in California. So there may be people in the club. So we're going to be at the Mint, which is mid L.A., and uh, we're going to be streaming uh, an acoustic show on the 18th. And then we're going to be playing an electric show at Threadwood on the 23rd. Um, and I have a feeling there'll be some people in the audience, but we actually have a couple festivals booked back east. They're outdoors and smaller. You know, for us, going back east is going to feel like a party. You know, just oh, like sure. we have people who we've been with for a long time in L.A., We've been going and touring back east now for many years and, you know, are very connected, not just to uh, Lisa and Joni's family, but mm -hmm. really deep relationships we have, not only with musicians that they played with, but, but from people we've met at festivals. So I, we have uh, five shows in the, in, in the books right now from uh, July 31st to August 7th. Just in the Massachusetts, Vermont area, we're just going to keep it really clean and simple. And it's really about just celebrating being back in life together. Sure, and it, sure. It, and we're, all of it will be done with safety in mind. Yeah. And it's our own and, and everyone else's as well. And, you know, of course, it's contingent on what's happening. Sure. Sure. If there's a new strain or variant that's making yeah. still people continue to get COVID. Hopefully not. I mean, fingers crossed for you, for sure. I, I hope it all works out. I think it's, you know, it's because of COVID, the, the nature of these restrictions. The entertainment is one of the last things to come back. You know, live music. Right. And, and so, you know, a lot of our musician friends who, you know, I have a lot of friends in particular back east, where that's all they do is perform live. And they have just, they have been hit so hard by this 
so, so hard. And we, we are fortunate to have, you know, other sources of income. And, and venues, too. A lot of venues have had to close. Um, and some have just managed to hang on. And I'm, I'm so, I can't wait to do our part to help breathe life into that, that those places again, to do what we can to help revive this for us and for everybody who really needs it. You know, people really yeah. need to, to stay sane. Anything else? Anything else coming up you guys want to mention or talk about? Uh, follow us on the socials, folks. Instagram, Facebook, you know, all the good stuff. The Twitter. <laughs> and Bandcamp, you have quite a bit going on on Bandcamp, I noticed, too. Bandcamp, sure. yeah. We've been doing these live streams from our rehearsal room. We're all set up in there with the camera and the sounds and everything, so that's been really fun. If we're, yeah, if we're not in a club on Fridays, Austin will be uh, doing a live feed from our, our rehearsal space. Okay. okay, is that is that kind of like an every Friday kind of thing you've been doing um, lately? It's, it's sort of every other. We 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 took you know we actually didn't see each other from December, January, February because of what was happening. Uh, but uh, we started back up in March, end of March. So every few weeks, every other week or or so. Yeah, and we yeah we're, we're figuring it out. We're figuring out like what the what the rhythm of it's all going to be. Yeah, with the live streaming, but. But it's real easy for us to do it because we're all set up, you know? Thank you guys so much for talking to me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Well, there you have it, folks. The No Small Children episode. And what an episode it has been so far. I'm so stoked on this one. The people in No Small Children, the band itself, so incredible. I'm so very happy to have had No Small Children on an episode of the Bobcast. So rad. Well, how about those songs? What did you think of the music? Incredible, right? Like, absolutely, every one of their songs just blows me away. Why is this band not a household name? That's what I think every single time I hear one of their songs. I'm like, how can they not be just wherever bands are played? This band should be there. I did want to say that last song that you heard, Sing Loud, that's a song that the band kind of wrote for kids. And what a, it's such a positive and happy sounding song. I mean, it's literally the perfect kid song. And I think it's kind of a perfect song for grownups as well, isn't it? I really love that song. It really makes me feel happy when I hear that song. That's one of the things that I think is so great about this band is that their songs do make me feel good, feel make me feel the way the music is supposed to make you feel. Like uplifting, kind of positive you know, energetic. God, there's just so many good things about this band. I could go on for a long time, so I will stop now. On that note, let me just say thank you so very much to Lisa, Joni, and Nicola of No Small Children for taking part in this episode. You're all amazing, super rad people, an incredible band. I owe you, and thank you so very much. There will be links to the No Small Children Bandcamp page up on this episode's page of the Bobcast website. Check it out at www.iwantapartywithbob.com. A huge thanks also to Carolyn Morissette for her contribution to this episode. The Tattooist is definitely in the queue of movies to watch for me. I'm very excited about it. Very excited to see everything that Carolyn has to say as the months go by here on the Bobcast. It's absolutely amazing. Thank you, Carolyn. I will post links on this episode's page of the Bobcast website so you can check out some aspects of the wonderful world of Carolyn Morissette, such as the Really Melanated podcast and the View from the Dark webpage and blog. Thank you, Carolyn. 
Lastly, thank you for listening. Don't forget, please subscribe, rate, and review the Bobcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please consider becoming my patron on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash I want to party with Bob. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Easiest way to get there is Google I want to party with Bob YouTube. That's it for me. Here's one more song by No Small Children. The name of this song is Radio. Now, if you grew up in the 70s or 80s, this one is going to hit very close to home and it's going to bring it all back. Trust me. Thanks so much for listening to the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. <laughs>